um, why don't you guys just introduce yourself briefly, just who you are, what you like to do, and uh, the most interesting realization you've had this week so far, if any, or alternatively, uh, what's something you never finish, but it's always it, it's still on your to-do list. Go ahead, Jess. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I was just being too polite there, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, for those who are tuning in for the first time, which they would be, this is the first episode. My name is Jez Marsh. Uh, I've been working in the Solar Winds Arena for probably about seven years or so now. I own my own uh, consultancy, but I'm not going to talk about that because I'm not talking shop today. And uh, when I'm not working, I am a massive gamer on multiple platforms. A um, little bit less than I used to be because, you know, wife, two daughters, you know, you've got to spend some time with the family, right? And, um, yeah, sports fan, go Redskins. And also, um, you know, looking forward to the new Formula One season. But other than that, you know, you'll find me on Thwack as Silverback says. Just drop me a line. Oh, and uh, one other thing. Uh, we were going to talk about what's never finished. Um, it's probably going to have to be housework, right? Because there's always something which has never actually finished and you're just going, I'll do that later. And you never do because it's always later. And then someone else comes along. <laughs> so that's my pet peeve. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, I right, wait for the hookah to stop. So my name is Nick Zordos, um, network administrator by day, general jack of all trades, many hobbies by night. I uh, just asked my wife. I spend every six months I've got a new hobby. The current one is uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Getting real hot and heavy into that. Um, work in the education space, uh, K through eight specifically. Uh, we run about approximately 90 different schools. So me and my team, or the team that I'm on, it's not my team. Thank goodness. Um, we run and operate the networks for, for all those schools. Um, one thing that's uh, never really finished, probably, if I'm going to stick to SolarWinds on this one here, actually. Um, SolarWinds theme is uh, uh, mopping up alerts and old monitoring, right? How many, how, do you, either you guys have old alerts that the nodes are probably gone, the applications are probably gone, but the alerts are still there and you just haven't taken the time to go through and audit everything. That's oh, yeah. like, that's just constant. Um, so I'm Matt Rheingold. My day-to-day -day is now as a monitoring engineer, but previously as a network engineer. Uh, I'm firmly within the realm of jack of a million trades and master of none because I've done everything from servers to storage to virtualization to network to monitoring all the way through and through pretty much from the get-go. Um, I was literally, I brought into SolarWinds through coming onto a job, my first IT job, and they basically said, here, it's yours. And uh, when I said, well, how do I, blah, 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 they said, well, go read the administration guide. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so I didn't. Um, what's on my permanent to-do list? I think at the top of that one is having enough video games that I feel like I don't need more. Um, I'm kind of... Between Jez and Nick, I think you both hit on exactly where I'm at with that. It's, you know, it's like a six-month hobby. Like, I just picked up a Switch, and it's like, I need every game on the Switch I may possibly play with my friends or my family or on my own. And it's like, well, what about the other, you know, 200 games you've got on your backlog already? And it's like, I'm still moving <laughs> forward. I'm still moving forward. An endless library. I like it. Yes. Yeah. Same here. Picked up Anthem. Uh, 
haven't tried it yet because I just decided to dive back into World of Warcraft again. That was probably a bad idea. But, uh, you know. <laughs> wow, I didn't know you didn't plan to sleep forever. This explains so many things right there. <laughs> I, I have many stories of my old World of Warcraft days. I, I think I just love how that's like a generational thing for us. You would not believe the amount of people that I knew from when I played Warcraft when I first came out that I still talk to or that just come out of the blue and like were you this guy i'm like yeah it probably didn't help any that i got involved with the penny arcade uh and uh control out delete comic groups back in the day on that one because they're you know so prominent at this point like <laughs> yeah like, who doesn't know that awesome so uh what is our topic for the day we've got a laundry list we've had some other mvps kind of slap together some suggestions. There's some serious suggestions in here, some real good topics, and there's some not-so-serious <laughs> topics on this list. <laughs> yeah, I think we went back and forth, and I don't even know how else we would put it other than that. I think tonight was a different topic than at the moment, so picking down the list of ideas was... It's almost like we should have one of those little wheels and just spin it and see what it lands on. Oh, the wheel of uh, programming languages that just always <laughs> ends up on PowerShell? Yeah, that's brilliant. Well, we, we, have back on that. we have 125, so if I go to the dice and I type in roll one dice, 125 sides, because, you know, we roll those types of dice all the time, right? Yeah. A D125, yeah. I got one of those in my bag. <laughs> All you need is uh, six D20s and a D5, right? <laughs> That's a I'll DM dice, right? The yeah, D1 I'll tell you D5. what. The first, the first time I ever saw a D100, like an actual D100, it just blew my mind. Like When I was <laughs> first getting into D&D, &D, I was like, That's a thing? You don't have to roll percentage dice? Oh, man. <laughs> I had one of those in my shopping cart so quick. I've never uh, used one of those in all the years of playing D&D &D back in the day, or AD&D. &D, um, I've always used percentile dice rather than an actual D100. I might have to go and get one now. Yeah, there's a couple of vendors that make them, but there's one that's really like the premier vendor, and they've got, I think they're on their like Mark III or Mark IV now, and it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. I, I would recommend it highly. So as a first idea of a topic, I see right near the one that was there, one from Jez from 4, talk about silos. So how about that one? Let's talk about a little bit about silos. So what kind of silos have you seen and what kind of magic tricks have you had to pull to handle a silo? So the, uh, the, here's the three, right? One is, is like, what is a silo you saw that you, you were able to fix? Um, and what was the silo you saw that you had to deal with as is and didn't go away? Okay. I'll start then since it was my, uh, my topic, unfortunately. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> basically, whenever, whenever I go into a business where there's heavy silos, I find it very difficult to get rid of them. Um, with the work that I do, because I tend to work with many different clients throughout a calendar year, I'm never there for long enough to actually convince them that silos is a stupid idea and they should just stop it, right? So I try to add in as much buy-in from all of the silos as possible um, so that they all start thinking about it together to help break down those walls in a way that they don't even realize they're doing it. Because Orion is such a huge tool, and it's, and it's like a gigantic colossus across all of the silos, 
that when you start using it properly, it almost defeats the silos on its own because you get all the teams to buy into it. And lo and behold, they're all working together without, they, without even realizing it. And then they realize that they can just work together on other things. So how do you get people to not um, not just get lost in the middle of it? Like when you tell them, like, look at all the stuff we can do. And then you get, you know, five different groups and they go, well, uh, this this is too much. Yeah. That's where custom properties come in. You know, my, my favorite topic. Everybody's is, favorite topic. Let's be yeah. honest. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's the superpower, right? Um, you you get this, you get the uh, basic custom properties in, and then you start adding in maybe one or two, which are uh, client specific. But you try and include it so that it's relevant for all of the silos. So you'll have like um, I don't know, a device role, or you'll have a support team, and everybody starts buying into that because the alerts are all going into this one big bucket, but the custom properties allow you to push them into the right places, especially if you use um, email address as one of them so that it automates who it goes to. It's yeah, just, so, so there's a question I have for you about that one, because we're all solar winds people here, um, so to speak in terms of we've all worked with it. Um, do you have alerts for individual teams or do you have the same alert for the same type of thing across the board, but then it goes to that team? Like, do you let it trigger even if you don't have an email address specified? Oh, do I let it trigger? Um, basically, if I'm using email addresses as a custom property to minimize the number of alerts, which is, in my opinion, always a good practice to put in place, um, I make it mandatory so that Every node has to have um, an email address in it if they're added manually. Um, there still needs to be some work in, in around the uh, Sona discovery to allow bring the custom property piece into that so that when things are discovered, it won't let you import them unless you've told it what custom property value to put in. But that's for another topic, another day. But um, yeah, I, I try and make it so that it, there has to be a custom property in there before I walk away from a customer to make sure that everything that's in there from whilst I've actually had tenure of that business has an email address so that I can use that alert and I'm confident that it's going to go to the right people. Nice. Yeah. So just a quick add to that. So you've got the custom property based alerting, right? With the email field. Now you're in an interesting interesting spot, at least compared to, to me and maybe Matt, where you're you're in the consulting business, right? Where you're you're going in and you're getting that all set up for all the different teams. Um, so for for me, how I do it and as a non consultant, just as kind of the Orion or monitoring system admin, um, is I sign myself up for every single alert that ever gets created. Right. So every alert always comes through my inbox, no matter what it is. Um, that gives me uh, kind of a, a feeling of how chatty that alert is. Um, but as well, at, it also, it's, it's an insurance policy. So if, you know, it goes out of date and, okay, so-and-so that, you know, was signed up for that alert is no longer here and you weren't part of that transition process, um, at least that alert's going somewhere, right? So have you ever, have you ever put in like a fail safe where, well, it doesn't matter, it's, all you know, all the alerts are all going to one place at least. Um, or how do you deal with that situation? That's a good idea. Um, setting adding yourself in as one of the default recipients um, for uh, when you set up the email to start off with in Orion, 
means that you know it always goes to somebody who's going to see it so it just doesn't sit in a, a you know a distribution list mailbox somewhere which you know if the whole team leaves nobody's ever going to see them and they don't know that their array is is dying on its uh, uh, bottom <laughs> almost almost swore there gotta keep it pg um but but yes it's um you know that's a really good point you know and you know every day's a school day i might actually have to use that myself I yeah, it gets, uh, it gets chatty. I, I kind of wanted to do the same thing, and I kind of always have. So whenever anybody wants a new alert on my side, um, I always require that no matter what's going on, unless this is like turn it on right this second and I need this now forever, um, I will always have it where it goes a week to me first and the one person that asked for it first. Yeah. That way they can I say, mean. you know, hold, hold off, hold off, hold off. Or they can say, you know, okay, this is good. And then after that, then, yeah, sure, okay, let's turn it on. But um, what I did for some environments that I'm conflicted about in the past was I had, like, no down alert um, set to email, but, you know, not all nodes had email as mandatory. So that gives me an interesting thought with that one. We're definitely going to have to have a custom properties talk, which is why I put that one at the bottom. But yeah in terms of so in terms of breaking down silos yeah i I totally agree jez that using custom properties is a great way to try to accomplish that um and i'm quick as a follow-up to that um so in addition to alerts right you can use custom properties for for dashboards to filter out you know specific nodes applications databases whatever components um to to filter those dashboards in for those teams to help kind of introduce the nms as a tool that everybody can use to help break down those silos. Um, and an example, uh, something that I've seen in my environment is our security administrator came in and he just rocked that concept where he's got the soft skills to go, all right, this is a security system and it's everywhere, right? We've got the agent on every server, every team is involved with this. And he's done such a great job with taking that system and making it friendly for everybody. And I'm trying to take notes on this because I've not been as successful as he is on breaking down those silos. So that's that's really something to learn from, um, for, for me at least, because that's, at least in our in our environment, we do have, you know, it's the dev team, and then our database team is like, they're their own entity, and like they have everything locked down, and they play everything real, real close to the vest. Um, so if, for us, the NMS isn't necessarily as, you know, it doesn't bridge those gaps as well. So he's done such a great job with that as a security administrator, because security, I mean, sure, it's its own silo, but it is everybody's responsibility, right? So we're very fortunate to have somebody who can break down those walls, break down those barriers, bridge those gaps, and, and bring everybody together as a single team. Just overall, it's such a great practice, um, but not something you see very often, I think. Yeah, that's that's right. It's, it's key to get buy-in from somebody who is either, um, you know, senior management, C-level, or like you said, someone whose role is prevalent across all of the silos to try and help you um, drive forward the work that you're trying to do to get everybody to play nice with Orion. Yeah, because, I mean, silos, so from a monitoring perspective, if you if you've got those silos up, it's your, your monitoring system is going to be a disaster. And a, an example from our environment is we had our dev team purchase and spin up their own 
uh, monitoring tool that was more DevOps based, right? Less operations based. Um, the Orion platform at its core um, is very operations based, right? Um, there's a lot of offerings from the SolarWinds uh, catalog that are kind of branching out into that DevOps environment. App Optics, right? Logly, Paper Trail, things like that. Um, but just overall, they went out and they, they purchased this new thing and guess what happened? It, it tanked, right? They, they spun it up. They poked it with a stick for 20 minutes and they went, well, you know, this isn't really a thing. And that's because they never really involved anybody outside of their dev space. Did they involve the monitoring engineer? Definitely not, right? Did they involve the people who on the infrastructure side who are actually spinning up that, in, that infrastructure? No, they did not, right? So that that's an example of where those silos really were actually the death of monitoring as a technology in our environment, at least. Um, and, you know, it cost the company a lot because that, that DevOps tool was not cheap. Yeah. I mean, you just reminded me of something that the client I was working at before the role I'm doing now, they had really hard silos and the um, infrastructure team <clears throat> owned Orion. It was, their, it was their tool. But because they just didn't have any time to put into Orion, um, the rest of the silos just got they got fed up with trying to um, try trying to have any faith really that what they want to monitor with it was was actually going to get monitored. So they ended up buying their own tool to make sure that they could get things done on their time scale because, and I am going somewhere with this, uh, they just didn't have any time. So the monitoring engineer role is absolutely something that every business. Um, should have now it can't be somebody else's job or to you know to tag on to, to their day job anymore because not only are monitoring tools so complicated these days they also have to be set up right otherwise you just don't get your money's worth no i agree i think uh, as, as a monitoring engineer you really have to kind of champion that right champion that system but ch champion that technology across the department, right? And that's that's kind of on us as monitoring engineers to to have those soft skills and to be that champion, which is something that you know a lot of IT folks, at least in my experience, um, especially on the operations side, don't necessarily no, don't necessarily have those skills, right? So it's it's a whole new skill set as an IT person, which traditionally is a very introverted role, right? Um, aside from folks like sales engineers and whatnot. Um, so it's it's an interesting dynamic to add to an otherwise typically very introverted role as you know a system owner. So I've had I can definitely echo on on both of those there. Uh, it kind of is almost hilarious to me because not only did I teach DISC, which is a DISC, which is a personality quadrant type thing to. Uh, engineers at another company, but also I experienced the other side of what Jez was saying of you need the time to do this. When I was in the network engineering role that I was in before, you know, they would constantly be like, well, how come you didn't have time to do this or this or this? And it's like, it's on my plate. It's just, you told me you have other priorities. And it's like, therefore monitoring is, is kind of falling apart because you don't have a dedicated person. And it really does... On, depending on the size of the environment, it really does turn into something that needs a dedicated person with the time to understand it and with the personality to be able to um, either pick up those kind of skills or something. I mean, it goes into psychology a little where it's like really just by being around 
a number of people, like eventually you're going to build some rapport with them if you're doing anything other than literally not existing. Um, how Zach and, and Josh and them handle being 100% remote with that must be an immense uphill battle um, in terms of like you don't really have a physical presence. You know, it's different when you walk in and the people see you and they know you. And they know, hey, it's it's Jez. Hey, it's it's Nick. You know, even if they don't care about monitoring yet, they still know there is this guy over there. That was one of the tricks I did to tear down silos in multiple places where people just kind of kept to themselves. And I was like, hey. And, you know, if, if they didn't like the way I, I went about making friends with them, then I tried a different way. If they didn't like this way that I went about being like, you know, hey, I'm your colleague. Let's work together. I got something nice for you. I found a different way, um, you know, and there, cause there were certainly people that hated that I even offered that. Like, even though I'm like, Hey, I can save you hours of your time. They're like, how about you pursue, you talk to someone else and not me because I don't have time. You know, it, it goes back to that. Like how much time do you want to spend fighting fires versus how much time do you want to spend getting ahead? Um, no, definitely. Um, and to kind of key off of that, I think, that it's it's not just the responsibility though of the monitoring engineer to try to break down those silos by yourself because it's it's not a one man job it's not something one person can accomplish right I think it kind of bubbles up to something that's farther up than that I think it also probably has a lot to do with leadership um, at your organization and you know what are your what are your directors doing to promote trust within your department so that those those different teams, you know, because silos are a result of broken trust, right? I'm, I'm not going to do this thing for you or, I, you know, we're going to do things differently because we don't necessarily have faith in those other teams, right? Oh, the, yeah, those database guys, they can never set up databases correctly. So we're going to do this our own way, right? Um, I'm just hating on database guys as a network operations guy, right? It's never the network. It's always the database. <laughs> um, but when you said the, the disk profile, you know, that's something that our, our organization has gone through as well in an attempt to break that barrier of, well, I have this personality and you have this personality, you know, take, have whatever opinion you like of the disk or any of those other profile or kind of personality profile um, systems, but it, it does and can help to say, all right, I'm, I work this way, and this is how I receive feedback, right? Feedback's part of that, um, and this is how I give feedback. So when I say this thing, it's not an insult. It's me trying to be genuine, right? And just being able to recognize that across teams um, because these aren't people you work with every day, right? It's not the person on the other side of the cube. It's not your manager who you're hopefully having a professional and productive relationship with. Um, but just at the top level, what is leadership doing to help break that down? Because as a monitoring engineer, there's no way you can do that yourself. Yeah, I like that. Having been in not one single environment where I felt like it was anybody other than me, I would have loved that this will probably be the first. Um, I would love to have had leadership's true buy-in and not just, well, hey, you know, we had an outage and if we had this tool, it would help us find the outage again because that's still not the same thing that's still not addressing the silo it's just saying okay i know how to look at the door of the silo but not hey i know how to tear down the silo i think that's a bit harder of a concept there but i agree with you 100 percent that that's something that you would want management to get involved with so jez i'm curious from your perspective as a consultant um how, how i know you touched on this a little bit earlier but when you when you are put into an environment and you have 
just almost sometimes, I'm sure, hostile relationships within an IT department, especially if it's a larger company. You know, you've got hundreds of IT people all working under the same roof. How, like, I just can't grasp that. How does, how can you, as somebody coming in third party to try to, you know, install a system that affects everybody, um, do you have any tips or tricks for, for helping with that? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, what I tend to do is before I arrive on site, I'll have spoken to the sponsor at the client <clears throat> beforehand and say, look, you know, <clears throat> I have a conversation, maybe one or two calls with them just to get an idea of how they work. And if it turns out that they are quite siloed and there's going to be a number of people from, say, your network team, the application team, infrastructure team that I'll need to speak to, I get them to nominate somebody from each of those teams and when I get there on day one, once I've had a coffee uh, and found somewhere to sit, um, I'll try and I'll get a meeting set up between those people. Um, and just, you know, I've got a pretty big personality, right? I, I don't, I'm not aggressive. I, I'm quite friendly. So people just like talking to me. I think I missed a calling. I should have been a counselor because I could have done a good job with that. But anyway, so I get them in the room and I have a discussion with them, <clears throat> tell them what I'm there to do. And I ask them for their pain points and what they would like to see. So I get them thinking about working together with Orion rather than working with each other. Because, but subconsciously, they're already thinking about working together because they're all feeding back into the same conversation, right? And that really does help because you get these people talking to you about what they want to see and what problems they've had in the past if you're there to try and fix something. Um, and they also end up vibing off each other when you're having these conversations. So if you have one of these call, one of these meetings, say, you know, once or twice a week, if it's a relatively long term arrangement, by the time you leave, everybody's comfortable talking about it. Um, and some people even take that on uh, going forward. They'll have these, you know, stand up meetings once a week about monitoring and the person is going to be taking it on. Uh, once you've left, will tend to keep it going, and it it, it does work in in my experience. Nice, yeah, I, I appreciate the insight. That's good stuff. I'm taking notes actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of thinking to myself like, hmm, Jez has seen this a bit, and this is this is useful and would help a bit instead of going in and having them be like, you're the monitoring guy. I want you to meet everybody, but then nothing, because that's kind of what happened to me. Um. It was like, here, here's your new monitor guy. And everybody's like, great, a monitor guy. And then just back to their work. And it's like, so we don't really have much of a follow-up here because I've been introduced. I am your your unicorn in the corner over there, over yonder, where you may or may not ever see me again. Now, you're the guy that's putting emails in people's inboxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every, everybody loves alerts in their inboxes, right? That's right. Spam mm -hmm. filter? Yeah, you bet. Have, oh, you, man. Have, you, have you guys both seen Hot Fuzz, that that British comedy? Uh, it's been a while. But... <laughs> have you seen it? I think so. Yeah. 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 So it, it kind of gets uh, the when you get into that sort of situation when there's no buy-in, you know, you you can see you walk in and then they introduce you and then you, they look at you and nod and then they carry on. It's very much like the guys behind the 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 meat counter in the in the um, in the supermarket in Hot Fuzz. They look at you, go, oh, yeah. nod, and they nod and then they just carry on and ignore you. So I, you know, I totally get that. I've, I've seen, I've experienced that myself, and that that's how I learned to have a different approach to uh, getting everybody to um, have buy-in inadvertently by getting to know them 
and then getting the the meeting on day one um, rather than literally just going in there cold because you, you're gonna get the whole what's this guy doing he can yeah i'm not gonna talk to him he's there just to make us all do more work right but if you set this if you set the um set the stage as it were whilst you're leading up to day one um it, it does it does help Nice, yeah, and at, at the risk of uh, not being PC, that does sound rather blue-collar, right, in the mentality of just, I'm going to get my work done, and hey, who's this new new guy? He doesn't know what he's doing. I've been doing this for 20 years, and what does he have to do with me, right? At yeah, least exactly. I, I ran into that in a, I worked in a manufacturing environment prior to my professional career, and I ran into that a lot. Yeah, you're always going to get that. You know, people who think, yeah, this guy's going to come and take my job, or he's going to automate my job away. Which is a, another big thing because everybody wants to try and automate things, but you got to automate the right things, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you just have to try and get the get a get the get the vibe going, get the conversation going. You know, in marketing speak, get the conversation going before you actually get there, because you have a, an easier time of it because people already know who you are and what you sound like before you even walk through the door. Nice. Um, so we've got a second question here related to silos so what is a silo that and i'm assuming this is uh the question here is, is worded in the with the intent of what's a silo that you actually didn't could not resolve could, yeah oh, you could not resolve okay I, i'm i'm kind of going on the flip side of that what's a silo that you intentionally maybe left up right and can you guys think of a situation where you had that where you're like all right this is separate for a reason and me and my role as the monitoring engineer i'm not going to try to branch there even though maybe your system does affect that team. Okay. Um, yeah, for me, it's trying to help support the uh, the operations guys. So the guys who are the direct um, recipients of the uh, first line tickets. If you have a business, if if a business has that, trying to reinforce the fact that these guys are the central. Um, controllers if you like of what happens with an issue in orion and when they say something needs to be looked at you need to look at it so back in the day before i started doing this i used to um manage a 24-hour um network operation center um and obviously you know i need to, i needed to help these guys not only do a better job of what they were doing uh, and, and skill them up a bit so they could do a lot more of it without having to call people out, but also making sure that the software, sorry, the monitoring tool that they were using um, worked as it should be. And that's how I first started with Orion. And that's why I'm, I'm always trying to reinforce the operations guy's role. Um, so everybody's looking to them for the initial message from any particular alert, because they're the guys generally um, who should understand Orion and how it works, at least from an alert perspective, um, better than the guys who actually receive the notifications. Because there are places, and it's not that uncommon, where the traditional silos of the network team, the uh, server team, and so on, they'll get an email to say this needs to be looked at, but they don't look, they don't log into Orion to look at it. They kind of just work off the message that they receive. Um, and then the operations guys control all the information that comes out of Orion when they need it. Nice. Yeah. And I, so the example that I have that, that came to mind for me is for our, our database team, they're, they're very siloed off, right? They, they control the keys of the kingdom, right? They're, they've got all the information for the organization. So for us in education, right, it's, it's student information, 
um, which includes social security numbers, right, contact info. We're not an e-commerce site, but there is, you know, technically what classified information for like special ed, right? And all that stuff's in the database somewhere. So they're very siloed off and for a good reason, right? It's a security thing. Um, so for me as, as the monitoring guy uh, to come in and try to replace what they had as existing database-based monitoring um, was kind of seen as an intrusion, right? To that silo. Um, and uh, to be honest, the the monitoring that they had in place, whatever tools that they are currently using, I actually don't even know. Um, it works for them. They set it up. It's the way that they want it to be. Um, and perhaps the software you're trying to introduce, the suite you're trying to introduce, whether it be Orion or like a SCOM or you know anything else like that, what's up? Maybe maybe that's not the best solution for that team. And they've already actually taken the time to find the best solution for their team. And that's fine, right? That's that's the situation where I would I would back up and be like, all right, you guys have it sorted. Like we have now multiple systems because we're using this tool that I'm trying to deploy, but you already have the solution that works best for you. And I've always tried to not be intrusive in that way to say, well, that's nice that you have that, but I'm gonna replace that with a tool that, you know, for whatever reason, doesn't have the functionality that you need, or at least that you're used to. Um, and if the tool is just not mature enough, then why would you try to to force that on them, right? Because that's just going to build that so that silo is just going to get taller, right? So just from that perspective of all right, maybe once the tool matures a little bit more, you can have the opportunity to go, oh yeah, that thing that you that you were really hooked on with this tool that's now introduced into the suite that we're using, which is now connected to everything else, right? The applications, the network, the servers, the virtualization. Um, so now let's let's try to absorb that. But initially, you know, that that hit of, hey, I've got a database monitoring tool, but maybe it doesn't do everything you want them, it, they want it to do. There, there's no reason to try to break that silo down if it's just not ready yet. So that reflects a lot on what I saw as well. Um, I find it funny that both instances of both getting rid of a silo and having to leave one up were the same type of environment where it was between network and server team. Um, I tore one down between network and server team by quantifying how well network was doing on one job um, and letting them see like it was a company where they all just trash network like, yo, network doesn't do very well and network sucks and this and that. And they hated that everybody else did that. And I'm like, you know, these people are actually doing pretty darn well. And if you give them some credit, I bet they would, you know, be more than happy to show you what they want to do. And then on the one I had to leave alone, there, you know, it's fully like Nick said. Like, it was an environment where they just weren't ready for the tool. Um, and the tool wasn't ready for them. I mean, it's, it's not their fault, but it wasn't the right time. There's certainly a factor of... of when is the appropriate time to tear down the silo? Because yes, silos are stupid and we are the type of people that function best without them, but you know, not everyone else runs by that playbook kind of like we do. Um, so that was an environment where we were in the process of upgrading SolarWinds from an older environment. They were in the process of wanting additional server monitoring that would pertain so that network could identify it. And neither one was in place. So, you know, even though they knew that this was like an area for collaboration, an area for for the silo to be removed, you know, they sat next to each other in uh, efforts to reduce the silo. They, they just weren't ready. And there's no magic I can do that's going to fix the not ready 
yeah, there there definitely is no magic wand. You know, the 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 software that you're pushing, right? The the reason that you're there, right? The software that maybe the, the IT organization has has chose might it's not a one size fits all. It's not a glass slipper all the time, right? And to being able to acknowledge that is something that I've you know I've done in my environment to say, nope, that doesn't work for them. They've got a process. It's fine. They can do their own thing. You know, they've got their own alerts. I don't have to see it. I don't have to touch it. And that's fine because they just have it already working. Now, from an efficiency standpoint and, you know, a budgeting standpoint, you're you're paying for two tools. But if that's the best way to do it and the organization supports that, then well, then so be it. Yeah, absolutely. That There is really no one tool that does everything. And for every organization, <clears throat> for every organization, the... Um, the, the right tool are the tools that actually work together to get the job done for that business. I mean, Orion's great. All the, the you know, the, the functionality in all of the modules, if you have, you know, Orion Prime, so everything, uh, all of the modules, then yeah, you can pretty much monitor everything. But there are some things which Orion doesn't do very well. One point would be um, Linux application monitoring. You know, that's not the easiest thing to get in Orion. Um, as it is with Microsoft stuff, because, you know, it's apples and oranges almost, uh, you know, for most people, but it's so much easier to get your application monitored if it's on a Windows stack, if it's on a Unix stack. Yeah, it's it's more complicated, it always has been. So sometimes you might want to look at something else, which is a little bit more, you know, Starnix friendly. But, uh, you know, it's got to be the right tool for the right business at the right time. One of the things I've experienced firsthand on that is noticing that it's not even that people just want my knowledge about SolarWinds and Orion in general. It's they want to know, like, OK, well, how could you see these things work together? And, you know, there's frameworks out there, you know, like we have stuff like ITIL that can serve for basic frameworks. But like sometimes people just don't know enough and they want to come to us because, you know, we've seen so many things like, OK, what kind of things have you seen interact with this or that? And, you know, it's, well, you could do this with it. You could turn it into this. Like, people really do, when they want to tear down the silo, will definitely want to come to you to get those ideas and, and just see how that can play together. You know, is there an alerting platform you want to have text it? Is there an email you want to have? Do you want to have an app on your phone? I think all of those are good. So let's get into wrap up tell us something you love about monitoring and tell us something you hate about monitoring hmm. so, so something i hate about monitoring is that when people don't know what they want they ask for anything or everything like what do you want monitored i want everything monitored well do you know what everything is yeah yeah i, yeah. I think i'll, I'll kind of echo that <laughs> of, uh, as as the monitoring person who's there to institute that right set baselines track trends you know, alert on problems when when you can approach a team and who's th this team is really gung ho about it, right? Everything's going great. They want to they want the alerts in their inbox, which never happens, right? So you finally find that sweet spot of awesome. Let's move forward with this, and you're like, cool. What are some of the critical processes that are required for your application to be up and running? And they can't answer the question, right? So they have to go through the discovery. Kind of, you're like, all right, well, let's take a couple steps back, like what servers does your application live on? And they're like, uh, you know, and it, just having application owners who don't understand their applications, that's something I've run into is, you know, they, they, they see it on the GUI side or maybe, you know, on one or two servers, but they don't have the whole thing mapped out, um, which, you know, one of 
one one thing I love about monitoring, I guess this is a good transition, is that at least with the Orion suite, if you can convince that team to put the agent on their their infrastructure, it'll map that stuff for you, right? You can see, yeah, database is calling app server, right? Web server, it's here. There's connections going here. Here's the LDAP, right? Oh, they're like, oh yeah, I totally forgot about the LDAP part, right? So you can see the all that stuff in app map if you've got SAM. Um, so being able to just click a button and deploy agents and have the whole thing show up, um, that's that's always like the greatest thing ever because you, you when you see the face of that app owner going, I've never been able to see my environment from this perspective. It's always just been an RDP session and I click that server to get over here to do this one thing. I've never really realized, oh yeah, that's connected over here. So that that's for me, that's always a big win. Yeah, good points. Um, I mean, mine would probably have to be um, both the same thing almost. And so what do I love about monitoring is the complexity and the scope of it. Um, I've learned so much more as a generalist, which is what I would uh, put down on my CV if I had to describe myself. Um, I've learned so much more about other technologies since picking up enterprise monitoring as my main job um, than I ever did for the 10 years previous as, uh, as a literally a siloed Microsoft engineer. It's great. You learn so much about how everything interacts simply just by living it. You know, but that's also what I hate the most about monitoring is the complexity of trying to get exactly what you want out of it and how the platform can work slightly differently depending on the scale. So if you've got a relatively small business, which has only got one, uh, you know, the main polling engine, anything you can think of doing is going to work perfectly. You know, agents are going to be manageable, et cetera, et cetera. But when you get to the bigger end of the scale, of the, of the scale, and then you, you start looking at, you know, four or five additional polling engines and then additional web engines as well. And then, you know, you've got potentially, you know, a thousand agents maybe deployed and then some um, trying to make sure that all the tips and tricks that you've learned doing, I don't know, 12 small to medium sized deployments in a year will actually work properly in the large environment. It's just understanding it. You always have to be on your feet. It's not easy. And it's not like I hate the fact that it's not easy. Is it the fact that some of the things that you what you can do before just won't work on the larger scale. And you always have to think about, right, how are they going to manage the upgrades of these agents when they go up? Uh, are they going to need to test each one? Uh, picking on agents as an example. You know, you've got to be mindful of it because it's so easy to end up with egg on your face if you don't think about the bigger picture when you go to this larger scale. Yeah, nice. Good input. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that one. Our first monitoring podcast session, um, I'm at Rheingold. We have... Chase Marsh. And Nick Zordos. And we're calling it a wrap.